Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning, Creekwood. Our scripture today is um, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 27, till the end of it, and chapter 13, verses um, 1 through 7. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we started out two weeks ago on what binds us together, what's the one commonality we have. And then last week we moved more into a functional space of what are the gifts that we bring and how each gift is just as important as the next. And today I really think the scripture lends more of the question of why do we gather together to begin with? Or why are we part of a church? Why would anybody want to join a church? Or why or what are people looking for when they do come to a local church to not only worship God, but connect with other people of like-minded faith. And I'm going to try and keep focused. I, I've, I've veered off course in, in preparing this several different times. I'm going to try and keep on track because Paul himself gets a little distracted in this part of the sermon, in this part of the scripture, in this part of the letter uh, to the Corinthians. He starts off kind of in the vein in, in other letters that he writes that what do we have in common, right? We have sinned and all fall short of the glory of the God. We are united by grace. That is the one thing we have in common when we come together is that we are in need of grace, that we are not perfect, but we worship a perfect God who brings us together. What else? Uh, and he's made the movement into, you know, that no matter what gift you have, you know, if you're male or female or Jew or Greek, there is no longer divisions within the body of Christ because we are one body and those things work together. And assuming 
essentially that he's saying there is no hierarchy amongst the fingers or the toes or the legs or the arms. This kind of equitable, ideal utopia of togetherness, all bonded in Christ's love. But then he veers off into... And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Paul has been arguing that there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ and then proceeds to make a hierarchy. And he's been arguing about this whole thing about the gifts of tongues. So he reaffirms this later on in 1 Corinthians 14. Basically, pursue these first, but if you speak in tongues, don't speak to other people about God. This is very interesting distraction from Paul's main point where he is talking about what unites us as a church. He's talking, you know, if you were to go, if you've heard 1 Corinthians 13, read at every wedding you've ever been to, you probably naturally said, love never ends, right? He's trying to, he's trying to tell the Corinthian church what it is that is going to perpetuate the love that they have felt from God, the love they are trying to tell others about in terms of what Christ offers to them, what truly unites them and what makes them a church is that love that they share with each other and have for each other. And in order to express that, we can't have any kind of division or hierarchy of just naturally thinking one is better than the other or grouping one, or one over the other. And yet Paul immediately goes into that. He immediately dives back into hierarchy. And I think that is because it's just really hard for us to get out of that law and order kind of mode. If we look at the Gospels, there are several times in which um, Jesus is walking through a grain field. We talked about this three weeks ago. Jesus is walking through a grain field with his disciples, and they start uh, mushing wheat together because they're hungry, and they need something to eat. And the Pharisees are, I guess, just walking right alongside them in the grain field, just watching and waiting for them to step out of line, just one iota, so that they can harp down and saying, you're breaking the covenant, you're breaking the order, and if you do, all of this will fall apart. There's a story of right, Jesus encounters this woman who has been caught in the midst of adultery. I don't know where the guy is. He should have been there too. But the Pharisees are, are harping down on this woman. And Jesus says, well, if any of you haven't you know, really messed up before, then you guys go ahead and throw the first stone. And, and you kind of get this picture that they reluctantly leave because they know that their law and order isn't standing up to the love that Jesus is showing right there. But what does that incident lead to? The Pharisees didn't want to kill him because he has stepped so far out of what is comfortable for us, what makes sense to us. I think one of the most challenging scriptures in, in all of the Bible, and it's not any of the polarizing social issue scriptures, it's Matthew 20. And, it, and it's known, if you have titles in your Bible, it's usually known as laborers in the vineyard. And it's this parable that Jesus tells about um, a certain group of laborers, and they, they go to the day labor pool, and they're going to do construction that day, and and the guy says, okay, well, I'll tell you what. You work all day long, and I will pay you $25. And the guy says, that's great. That sounds awesome. Well, there's not enough laborers. And so the guy goes back to the day labor pool, and there's people who are waiting there. And the guy says, you know what? We've got about seven hours left in the day. If you work those seven hours, I'll pay you $25. And they say, that's awesome. Great. Sure, let's do this. And sure enough, the work's not getting done in the time that needs to be done. And so the guy goes back to the day labor pool, and there's only three hours left in the day. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, for these three hours, I'll pay you $25. And they're like, this is a deal. I'm getting, you know, a, a great deal. And so they go and they start doing the labor. Well, not everybody knows what they're getting paid at, you know, at the end of the day, but they all go and they're collecting their cash as they are about to go home. And 
people have been working all day come and you know the master gives them $25 and they're thinking oh my gosh I'm gonna go out and have a nice dinner gonna have a great time and they look back and they see the people who only work seven hours are getting $25 as well and they're thinking hold on well I guess I only work 10 hours they work seven hours I guess that's kind of fair and then the the slackers who only worked for three hours they were the ones who came in and completed the work and they look back and and see the people who've been being paid three hours are getting $25 as well and this is just too much right they founded the church they started the city they're the originals they're the people who work the hardest they're the ones putting all the effort in they're the Peggy staff who does everything in this church how how could you ever assume that they should get paid as much as me you see where this might be the most controversial scripture in all of the Bible it's the thief on the cross in which he looks at Jesus and says please welcome me into your kingdom and he says today you will be with me in paradise and that man did not live within the law and order of the Jewish law his entire life perhaps that's what we know or that's what we assume that he's on the cross for a legitimate reason so therefore he has not earned his way into paradise according to the law and the law is what Paul is so ardently arguing against for the majority of his letters for the majority of his letters he's he's dealing with Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians and by and large even though he says both come to faith in a different way he always favors grace and faith over law and order and so for Paul to descend back into well there's just a chaotic experience in Corinth the people who are speaking in tongues are disrupting worship they're disrupting the flow of what a church should look like they're distracting people and so what's the answer to it let's create a system let's create an order let's create a hierarchy and none of that is inherently bad right our church runs on systems the, the better the system is the easier things flow and the more coordinated it is the better ministry we can have but when it comes down to what Paul is doing of saying there is a law and an order to tell us who is better and who is right and who comes first and if we look at what it was that glued us all together in the first week it wasn't the hierarchy it was the understanding that we're all in need of grace and we all have something to contribute I wonder if Paul lost his way for just a little bit I've learned recently in doing way more research into playing cards and cards and all sorts of other things for this sermon series is um, there is an incredible magic that can be done with cards I am one I love magic shows and um, one of the things that always amazes me because it seems like it should be simple but every time I try and watch a YouTube video to learn how to do these things I cannot do card tricks to save my life um, I can't do card tricks and even when they break them down into simple things I can't do them and, and I saw a video it was a, it was a soccer player it's a you know guy who's on the United States national team he plays over in England and he was uh, just amazing his locker room uh, pals with this card trick that told a story the entire time and and whenever he would talk about um, someone falling in love it would be the Queen of Hearts over and over again and he would reshuffle and then every time it was somebody who um, had the power it was the King of Spades and it was just this really intricate tale the story that he always seemed to be able to pull out the right card at the right time and it's almost like you know the ones where they say hey you pick a card any card and you you know look at it you mark on it you put it back in and you think how in the world 
do they come up with the right answer every single time? And it's usually a lot of flash, right? They're usually doing this and they're flipping things and they're shuffling back and forth and over and over again. What I, what I learned in this, and I still can't do it, is that it's all a mathematical principle. That they know the correct number of cards and somehow have the feel to shuffle the right number of cards in the right order, in the right uh, sequence. And if you do it in the right steps every single time, it will produce the right outcome. And that's generally how we tend to think about law and order. Now, if you were to do a magic trick that you knew was a mathematical equation, you're not paying $50 to go see David Copperfield, and David Copperfield is probably a lot more than $50, but I haven't been to Vegas in a long time. Because what they do is they add a lot of flash around it. And this is the reaction that a lot of us tend to have to the law and order that used to get things right. But, you know, one thing I hear over and over again is when we do the same things over and over again in church, it just loses its meaning. Like, if we have the same pattern over and over again, if we gather in worship over and over again, if we gather in small group over and over again, if we don't neglect to meet with another, as it says in Hebrews, we pattern our lives, we shape our lives, and even though we may not know it, we are gaining the wisdom and gaining the love and gaining the knowledge and gaining the experience that shapes us and forms us in the love of God, but it doesn't seem very exciting. So what a lot of churches did is they take that formula and they add a lot of flash to it. And they add a lot of flash, and sometimes it looks like smoke machines, and sometimes it looks like electric guitars, sometimes it's a huge, grandiose organ, sometimes it is new choir robes, sometimes it is even just the experience of welcoming where you walk in. And I remember walking into a church one time, and um, this, was a, this was a really, really large church, mega church, contemporary, non-denominational church. And I walk in, and there are three people greeting me in the parking lot systematically. And uh, they, they pass me along from one to the next, and they pass me to the person who's at the door, and then they pass me to the person who's 10 feet past the door, and then they pass me to the person who's 10 feet after that. And so by the time I'd entered into the worship space, I'd been greeted by about eight people, um, at least as a good morning. And what I did was I... I, I decided that I was going to be just a little snot in this moment um, because they were doing their system and their process very well and it was very flashy and they were so excited that I was there. That, every single person I passed was so excited that I was there and um, I decided to be a little snot because I'm a pastor and I do these kind of things. So what I did is I entered in the worship space but then I went out another door and I came back in because I wanted to see if they would remember who I was. And then I also wanted to see how much they genuinely cared. And so I, I didn't go to the people in the parking lot, but I went to the front door person, and they said, oh my gosh, hey, welcome to this morning. It's so great to have you here. And I said, it is great to be here today. What's your name? And they were so taken aback. Oh, my name, my name is Paul. And I said, great, my name is David. This is my first time here, but I really, can you tell me about, like, what is the ethos and mission statement of your church? I really want to know more about this place. And, and they like, I, they kind of, uh, uh, you know, whatever, and, and I said, well, I hope you have a really great day, and so I walked in, and sure enough, there's the probably fourth person, I guess, who agreed to me the first time, and they said, oh my gosh, hey, we're so glad you are here today, it is so exciting for you to be here today, and I said, I'm excited to be here today, too. Can you tell me your favorite thing about this church? And they're like, we're, oh, well, we, we, we love, the, everyone is so nice, we love the music, it's really, really great, and I said, that's fantastic, can you tell me, what is your favorite song that you sing? What's the, what is it, how is it meaningful for you? Uh, oh, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just supposed to say good morning, I guess. You know? 
And so I went to the next one, and, and again, I'm being a snot. I recognize this. I go to the next one, and, they, and again, it's, hey, we are so great that you are here today. We've got a seat saved just for you. And I said, is there any special place that I should sit as a newcomer? Is there any person who's going to like sit with me and guide me through the service today? Because so, I understand that you may do some things differently than the service that I normally go to. And Oh, well, no. And I said, well, will you sit next to me? And I go, oh, well, well no, I'm going to sit next. I'm going to go sit with my family after I do this. And I said, can I sit with your family? And, like, the easy answer should be, I guess. I said, well, I, I'm not sure where they're sitting right now. Again, I know I'm being a snot in this whole moment. And I shouldn't have done that. It was mean. But it's a trick. It's based on this system of law and order that is disguised in flash to achieve an outcome that feels like welcome until the system breaks down. Because I had a friend who works in a church. My friend recently was let go uh, from a church. It wasn't due to any budget concerns that most churches are facing around the country. This was due to a church that for the last 149 years has had a statement um, everyone is welcome in our church. This is out in Georgia. Uh, everyone is welcome. And they have these banners that, they put, that, that fly every morning, and it says, come worship with us. Everyone is welcome. And so my friend started, um, he, he's the youth pastor at this church in Georgia, and he took this seriously. Everyone is welcome. And, and, and my friend has a heart for those who are kind of left out, and so um, he made it his mission to go out and whatever the football game, you know, that he would go to and he would watch the community football uh, game on Friday nights. And he made his mission to find which kid just looked like he wanted to be there because what you do on Friday nights is go to a football game, not necessarily because he was invited. And so he went to that kid and he got to be, uh, you know, close with that kid, invited him to church. And so what's interesting is the church itself kind of prided themselves on their diversity when there was no diversity. But when you looked at the youth group, the youth group was full of people of all different I mean, nationalities legitimately because there are all sorts of families who are refugees from other countries. So nationalities and ethnicities, um, I mean, people who uh, ascribe to just different ideal ideological views of the world, and even down into sexual orientation and other differences that we could really divide ourselves amongst. And you know what? For the seven years that my friend has been there, for six of those years, maybe five of those years, the church has really uplifted this youth group and said, isn't it so wonderful? Look at our youth group and the diversity. Everyone is welcome at our church. It is so fantastic. And then over the last couple of years, there's been a few things in our nation or our church that have kind of started to put some hierarchies in people's life. Started to put some divisions in people's lives. And so about six months ago, after receiving just, you know, casual warnings, if you want to call them, about six months ago, my friend is called into the senior pastor's office, and there's the SPR chair. And they say, just in very blunt statements, we're going to need to let you go. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't understand. It's always been, you know, I really enjoy this church. I don't really understand. And 
They said, yeah, you're just, you're just not living into the system of our church. You're not living into who we want the community to perceive us as. And he said, can you explain more than that? And he said, yeah, we really just feel like your youth group is just a little left of center. And my friend is not a progressive on any measure. It's just getting a little too left of center. We're starting to be known as the liberal church in town because of what our youth group represents. And he said, but hold on. Outside, we have this system that says, right, the hierarchy says everyone is welcome. Our church is based in love. Our church is based in the same Jesus Christ who goes and seeks out the one and you know, when the 99 are there waiting, our church is based in the Jesus who says, you know, when you come to a banquet table, don't take the head seat. Take, take the back seat so that the master can invite you up a little bit. And the SPR chair just looks at him and says, this is not what we want our church to be known for. Right? It works with a lot of flash and a lot of system until it doesn't. And what Paul comes around to after his momentary distraction is what we read in weddings all the time. When we have two people that are coming to join together in a covenant, which is supposed to last forever. Dave, you're going to have to bring me to 1 Corinthians 13 here. He comes and he says, not everybody can live inside of this hierarchy, I think. And I think Paul kind of recognizes a little bit in which he has veered off course. I think he's recognized that, you know what, I, I put this hierarchy in place. I put it in place to keep some law and order. I put it in place because not everybody was comfortable with the people who speak in tongues, the people who prophesy. Not everybody was comfortable with the people who have divine gifts or other things like that. I put this in place, but you know what? That's not the way that it should be. Because the people who are speaking in tongues or the people who have prophecy or the people who are great at teaching or the people who are apostles or the people who have the gifts of administration, the people who are the 99 or the people who are the one, the people who sit at the front of the banquet table, the people who sit at the end of the banquet table, the people who have worked all day, the people who worked for three hours of day. But I think Paul finally comes to the place is that all of those people are coming to the church for the same reason. And they're not coming because there is a great system they're not coming because there is this pathway of greeters that makes you feel excellent for about five seconds when you enter in. They're not coming because all the music works exactly on time. They're not coming because there is this, this flash that fades, that goes away if we speak and if we bang cymbals together and pots and pans and kazoos and that's all that we're here for or all that we're here is to make sure that our hierarchy and comfort level is in place. Those things go away because eventually those things break down. But when we look at the way Jesus says, even the person that works three hours and the person who pays ten hours are going to get paid the same, because that's how love works. Because that's when Jesus Christ, who's on the cross with the thief, and it says, you're going to be in the same place that I'm going to be in just a matter of moments. The reason I think people come to church and are part of a church and the witness that we have to the community is that love is patient. And love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And what is that last part, if you remember from weddings, that goes into verse 8? Love never ends. Never goes away. 
the basis of why we're all here is that we're all in need of grace. The functionality that comes along with that is that everybody's gift needs to be there, inspired by God's grace, inspired by the Holy Spirit to make it function. But if we lean too far into our functionality of the system that we put together, if we lean too far into the flash of even just ecstatic experience forgiveness, those things go away. I'm going to bet why you are here is because you are seeking love. Because you want to be in the presence of a God who has said that God will love you forever. And you want to experience the love that comes from the redemption through Jesus Christ. And you want to experience that by a group of people that is patient and kind and not envious or boastful. It's that deeper magic. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis writes about this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's this scene in which the rebellious young Edmund, if you're familiar, has betrayed his family and given Naslan, who is the Christ-like figure of the lion, up. And the witch, in, the white witch, you know, personification of evil, enters into the, the camp as they're about to come to battle and says, you know the magic in which we were established, the hierarchy, the law and order. You know how things should work. And if, and if there's a traitor in our midst, that traitor must die. That is what the law says that our sins have been written and the wages of sin are death. And she says that all of Narnia is built on these laws. And if you don't enact the laws, then all of Narnia will crumble. Eventually, Aslan steps in and says that he would take Edmund's place. And of course, the flash of that is just so exciting. The White Witch is exciting to finally kill the great Aslan. And after Aslan is killed and then resurrects, and Lucy and Susan and these other two kids are like, I don't understand how. And Aslan says, the witch only knew some magic. She didn't know the deeper magic. The deeper magic that what holds us together is not hierarchy and law and order. What holds us together is not a flash in the pan that fades quickly. What holds us together is the very love that Jesus expounds upon. It says we will be known by our love because no greater love than this that to lay down our life for our friends. Friends, we're going to move into a sermon series in which we're going to look at what it means to be a church inside of a larger community. The church doesn't exist inside of itself, but inside of a community that increasingly and increasingly, church is not the most important thing in the world. Christianity is not the most important thing in the world, increasingly. And what I want you to hear and what I want you to know is that survey after survey, interview after interview, book after book, Bible story after Bible story tells us that why we are a part of something that is meaningful for the community is not because we function incredibly well as like a business model, not because we are a flashy place that just is full of enjoyment all the time, but because people are seeking other people that against maybe their human nature are not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, but they can endure all things, abide in all things, they are looking for a love that never ends.
So as we consider what it means to be part of a church, as we consider what it means to be part of relationships, perhaps we can really meditate on what it is that binds us together. The love of Jesus Christ that truly never goes away. And what I really hope and pray for is as we view each other through disagreement or through conflict in our own personal lives or as a church, that we ourselves remember that what people need in this world are Christians who are not proud, not arrogant, not boastful, not rude. Love that they know will never go away. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your never-ending love, a love that chases us down the road when we are prodigal sons and daughters, a love that leaves the established easy to handle 99 to search out the one, a love that is a deeper magic behind any kind of trick or manipulation or flash, a love that goes beyond any hierarchy that when the rules fall apart that we are still seen as valuable and wonderful in your eyes. And God, we truly are grateful for the expression of this love in the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Who else have we seen that has willingly taken on the sins of the world, willingly taken on the pain of the world, willingly entered into our grief and our trauma with us so that we would know that we are never alone? Who else has done this, God? And this is the, the basis of who we are, our identity as Christians and as humans, the love in which we were formed. And so, God, may we never forget that that is who we are and what we are. And that our witness to the world cannot be argumentation. Our witness to the world cannot be judgmental bigotry. Our witness to the world cannot be this hierarchical system of thinking we're better because we have a fish on the back of our car. God, let our witness be this love that always endures and endures all things. So that those who are lonely and lost and broken and sinful and hurt might find in us the same love that never goes away. That always lasts and always perseveres. So that perhaps we'll look a little bit more like your kingdom and not our own. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.